To believe or not believe, that's the question. Atheists, people who do not believe there is a God, we call them atheists. The, word, the root of the word is atheist. Ah is a negative. Theist means God, negative God. They don't believe that there's a God. Practical atheism, a practical atheist is a person who might believe there's a God, but that belief doesn't impact the way they live or think in any way. Some practical atheists might be called deists. They believe that there was a God far off who maybe created the universe like a wristwatch, wound it up, set it into motion, but has been absent from human affairs ever since. When I do not allow the implications of my faith to affect my actions or my attitudes, you end up being a practical atheist. Your belief has no impact on your life. Situational atheists, well, they might live like there's a God some of the time, and other times they live like there's no God. But when they really get in a jam, they usually call out to God. Another generation, an older generation, called this foxhole Christianity. When the chips were down, when you need a miracle, you turn to God. Otherwise, you just leave him alone. Some years ago, I was uh, in a city where I was trying to become the chaplain of a university. This was a secular university. They uh, didn't really much want a chaplain. They had already expelled the Catholic chaplain they used to have. And there were some friends of mine who were on the faculty of the college who wanted to have spiritual resources for the kids who are interested in them. They seemed to have people to support the, every other kind of interest any college kid would have. And so I got permission from uh, one of the faculty members to use their office as sort of like a, a counseling office for college students. And I could sort of be an unofficial chaplain. Well, the president decided that was inappropriate and we shouldn't have any of this kind of spiritual stuff supported officially by the college. And then there was a tragedy. Two guys driving inebriated past the campus at a high rate of speed. One was killed right on their front doorstep. And this same president is conducting a funeral service for the student body and family for the young man who was killed. And so she reads to them this poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Sunset and evening star and one clear call for me. And may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea. Twilight and evening bell and after that the dark. And may there be no, sad of, no sadness of farewell when I embark. For though from out are born of time and place, the flood may bear me far. I hope to see my pilot face to face when I have crossed the bar. And I wanted to stand up in that service and say, well, who's that pilot? Right? When it's convenient, when you need something to stay, when there's a tragedy, we grab onto the God we don't believe in most of the time. 
That's situational atheism, right? When I have a need and I, when I can't figure the world out, when I'm in a situation where nothing makes sense, I reach out to that which is beyond me. There are degrees of situational atheism. Some folks rarely mention or approach God only in times of national crisis or immediate family danger. Other folks have a very robust Christian faith, but there are certain specific areas from which they have excluded God or Christian influence. For example, one Christian might have a miserable neighbor. They know what God says about loving their neighbor, but they are unwilling to be the kind of person who chooses to be kind to them. And they place that relationship outside the influence of their Christian life. They just sort of seal that area off and choose not to hear God on that subject. Or perhaps they've decided that their marriage is doomed to failure, so rather than trying to do the hard work of working for improvement, they just simply give up. They choose not to pray about their marriage. They choose not to go to a counselor or to cooperate with the spouse. They have no desire for counseling. They just, they seal off that part of their life and do not permit God's grace to shine there. And they just brace themselves for relational death. Anytime we seal off an area of our life from the work of the Holy Spirit, anytime we decide that God cannot help us with this particular problem or this particular part of my life, Anytime we tell God to butt out of some of our circumstances because we're sick of dealing with them, we are acting like situational atheists. Faith believes that God can make a difference in every part of our life. Faith affirms that God cares about every part of our life. Faith calls us to bring our whole selves to God so that the Holy Spirit can lead us to wholeness and health. And friends, we are called to faith, to be holy, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We are believers. At least I'm assuming that we are. In a very significant way, the passage that we're reading this morning talks about a town full of situational atheists. This is the Gospel of Mark, the sixth chapter, the first verse, and we're reading this very interesting story about what Jesus can do in his hometown. Mark 6, 1. Would everyone except Chuck please stand for the reading of the Gospel? Sorry, buddy. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, 
and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Jesus launches his ministry, as we heard in the last several weeks, in a town called Capernaum, which was in the southwestern corner of the Sea of Galilee. And then he heads to Nazareth, his hometown. He's been healing and teaching as he went. He's been training his disciples in the ministry to which they are going to be invited. And he's anticipating that very soon he's going to launch his disciples out to do the work. So he's getting ready to move his disciples out into the harvest field to announce that the kingdom of God is approaching. But his experience in his hometown isn't what he expected. At least that's what we infer from the statement in Mark that says he was amazed, surprised at their lack of faith. As is typical for Jesus, when he gets into town, on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue. He is afforded the courtesy of being invited to read from Torah and explain. Jesus does this. He speaks with authority, recognizable authority, as he has in the past. The people are surprised at his authority, and many are amazed once again. But some people in the crowd can't hear or see his message because the very idea that Jesus has anything at all to teach them was too big of a hurdle to jump. You see, these are the hometown folks. These people knew Jesus. They knew him when he was a boy. They knew how he had trained at Joseph's knee. They knew he was a carpenter. And in their minds, and in the culture and time of, that this is written, this special knowledge that Jesus is now displaying, this special authoritative teaching, well, it can only have two sources in their mind. It's either from God or it's demonic. Those are the only two options. Something as authoritative as this, something as different as this, it can only be from God or it's demonic. But they can't get past the part that they know Jesus from past experience. They know he didn't train to be a rabbi. They know he was a carpenter. They know and heartily believe that he is no better than anyone else standing there and that his opinions had no more value than any other opinion of anyone standing in the hometown crowd. And so they took offense. The words of the crowd that Mark chooses to quote to us are argumentative and insulting. Isn't this the carpenter? In other words, this guy's a common laborer just like the rest of him. How does he come off pretending to know all this stuff? And isn't this Mary's son? Well, you have to understand, first of all, you never referred to a grown man by his mother's name in this culture. To do so was insulting. You might have called Jesus a mama's boy. You identified the man by his father, okay? And so there's only one or two options available. Either they're insulting him as a mama's boy, or they're making a comment about that rumor that maybe his birth was illegitimate. You know that virgin birth thing? 
Maybe they were not willing to accept any of that stuff and, and they're making a, a slanderous statement about his legitimacy. We don't know which of the two it might be. I mean, it's been 30 years, but those folks remember back 30 years and Jesus responds to them, quoting several different sources, acknowledging that prophets don't seem to have any honor in their hometown or in their own families and among their kin. And then Mark reports the troubling part of the passage. I mean, if the other stuff wasn't troubling enough, Mark says, he couldn't do any deeds of power among them other than a few minor scattered healings, right? Just a little bit of, the, of stuff he could do there. And, you know, I, I wonder, inquiring minds like mine want to know, I mean, why? Why can't he do any deeds of power in his hometown? Is their lack of faith stronger than his ability to cure? Is Jesus limited by their actions? I don't think that Jesus' power is limited by anything that humans do. Jesus is always and will always be above us, greater than us, never limited by our actions in terms of what it is possible for him to do. However, God the Father in harmony with the Son and with the Spirit, have made specific choices in the way they deal with humans. The Spirit, Jesus in his day, the Spirit in our day, doesn't force his way into our lives. He doesn't coerce faith. He doesn't twist our arms to make us obey. He offers himself and we must respond. He honors our right to choose him or ignore him. He honors our decision to include him or resist him. He honors our desire to be identified with him or to be free of him. You know, in a few verses, just a few verses coming up, he's going to send his disciples out to preach and teach. And they're gonna go out and they're gonna announce that the kingdom of God is hand. And he gives them, he gives them the appropriate response to people who reject them. You remember what it is. If anyone rejects you, go out into the middle of the street in a symbolic act and knock the dust off your feet. And in doing that, this is what you'll be saying to them. We offered you the good news. You didn't want it. We took nothing from you. We required nothing from you. We even return to you the dust from your street so that you understand that if you want no part of us, you can have that. You can have no part of us. But we were here and the offer was made. No fighting, no arguing with people, just brush the dust from your feet and head on by. And so in our story, most of the people of Nazareth, they simply turn away from Jesus and have nothing to do with him, and he allows it. He doesn't force people who don't want to be helped. He won't heal people who don't want to be healed. 
He will not intrude. He will not use any kind of force to manipulate people to follow him. It isn't that Jesus can't perform miracles in Nazareth. It's that the people of Nazareth don't want to allow Jesus to be himself. They don't want him. They don't believe him. And they want no part of him. And Jesus leaves them to their choices. I think that's frightening. I think it is frightening. Imagine being in a place where you have so distanced yourself from God and discover that God has left you to your own devices. I don't mean, I don't believe for a second that it means that he doesn't love us. I believe he has given us choices to make and he chooses to respect our choices. The thing that is unnerving to me is that I wonder if at times and if in certain circumstances we are all that much different. I mean, are there situations where we don't believe God can help anymore and so we have just written him off? Are there specific situations or circumstances in our lives where we've just We've just stopped believing that things can ever be different. And we've chosen not to trust anymore. I encourage you this morning, rekindle trust. Choose to believe. Take those areas to the Father again. Begin to pray about them. Open your life to God for the Holy Spirit to point out any areas like that in your life. Listen for his invitation to you to trust him again. Your relationship with your parents can be healed. Your relationship with your children can improve. Your marriage can be saved if both parties want it to be saved. Every situation can be reversed by the power of God if we continue to believe that it is possible and that Jesus has the power to make things different and new. Situational atheists have just stopped believing that Jesus can be effective in certain situations. Jeremiah talks about this in his prophecy in Jeremiah 2.13. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What the picture that Jeremiah is painting is of a people who have decided to create their own solutions to their own problems and have forsaken God in the process. They've essentially said, I know best. I'll take care of my own problems. And Jeremiah says to them, from God, you may think you have your own solutions, but the cisterns, the, the water sources, the life sources that are, you are digging for yourself will inevitably be broken and will not hold the water you hope they will. And you are giving up the spring of living water that I have for you 
and choosing to rely on your own resources in areas where you could have life, but you choose what you can touch and what you can see and what you can figure out for yourselves. It's easy in certain situations where the waiting is long to get tired of trusting for the living water that God promises to provide. We know he promises to make a way in the wilderness. We know he promises us streams in the desert. We know that as we consistently trust on him, he will make a way for us. But sometimes it's taking too long or we're tired of waiting and we stop trusting. Sometimes folks who have given up in one area of life find it increasingly easy to stop trusting God in all the areas of their life. And they slowly, over time, situation after situation, just walk away from the trust they have in God. And then situational atheists just become atheist. Jesus calls us back from that danger. Jesus asks us to believe again. He wants us to live in a place where the full power of God can be realized. And this morning as we move to receiving the communion meal together, I'm hopeful that you will be able to see in the bread and the juice the elements that symbolize all of the resources of Christ for you. He has demonstrated his love for us in deep and majestic ways. He asks us to continually take this meal to remind us that he is present with us and in us, that the Holy Spirit resides in us as the down payment on all the promises of God for us that he is at work, that he will work, and we must trust him and believe that he is able to make a way for us. When we remember Calvary, we remember what Christ did for us. When we remember the cross, we think of the cost Jesus bore so that our sins might be forgiven. When we think of Jesus' humiliation, we remember that he sacrificed his reputation for us. And all of this Christ does because he loves us, that he cares about us. And we have the opportunity in this meal to receive strength from him, grace from him, to not only live victorious Christian lives, but trust him with the most difficult parts of our lives, believing that he can make a difference. So this morning I ask you, do you believe that this is true? Do you believe that Christ is still able to make a difference in every area of your life? Are you willing to confess your unbelief in certain areas and call out to him again for help? Will you choose to trust? Because I know that if you allow him to help, he will help. Let's pray together. Father, 
we step into these moments of communion, we pray that you would give us your grace today. Give us confidence, Lord Jesus. Show us again the magnificence of your love for us. And as we commune with your spirit this morning, show us if there is any place where we have stopped trusting and invite us to believe again. Amen. For those who are going to assist me in the serving, come at this time. We are going to recite the creed as a part of the communion liturgy today, so I'll just give you a heads up that that's coming and the, the words will be on the screen. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the very breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity to sin, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins and have given us the blessed gift of the Holy Spirit to be our constant companion. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name singing together. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 Merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Let us confess our faith together by reciting the creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and may this bread and this juice become the body and blood of Christ for us, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this juice, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world redeemed by Christ's blood. 
May your spirit sanctify us that we might be one, united in mission and committed to loving God and neighbor with all that we are until Christ comes in final victory and we feast together in his heavenly kingdom. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again in final victory. I'd invite you to stand and come by the outside edges of the pews and receive the elements and then return to your seats. Yeah. 
life eternal I believe in the virgin birth I believe in the saints communion and in your holy church I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again for I believe in the name of Jesus I believe in life eternal I believe in the virgin birth I believe in saints communion and in your holy church I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again for I believe in the name of Jesus for I believe in the name of Jesus for I believe in the name of the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, may it preserve you blameless to everlasting life. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, may we receive it with joy for all that Christ has done for us. Jesus, we thank you for these gifts. And we ask that by your spirit, you would search us and know our hearts. That if there's any offensive way in us, you would point it out and you would lead us in your way for now and always. We pray in your name. Amen. I'd like us, as we close the service this morning, to sing a song together. And it's my experience that when we get to the place where we have sealed pieces of our life away from God, that it takes a little bit of doing to reopen those cans of worms, right? Because we've protected those areas. We've carefully separated those things and and it takes time of listening to the spirit and desiring to know his will if there are things we've taken off the table and we no longer consider and so i would like us to sing a song in closing tonight that serves to give us space to invite the holy spirit to speak to us that's what we want all of us right we want the spirit to speak to us to challenge us to help us see clearly if we've stopped trusting in any area, because we want to believe. We believe that he has the power to do anything. For as Mary found out, nothing is impossible for God. And so we trust him, and we open ourselves to him for his voice. So as we sing this song together, you're welcome to remain seated. Uh, but if you want to kneel at this altar and pray, or if you want to pray where you are in the pew, if you want to just ignore the singing and commune with the Father, all of that's perfectly fine. But before we rush out into the noise, I'd like us to have a quiet spot to think and consider and to open our hearts to all the Spirit might say today.
Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need Your grace is more Where grace is found Is where you are And where you are Lord, I am free Holiness is Christ in me Lord, I need comes my way And when I cannot stand or fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay So teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way when I cannot stand or fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour Yes. Mm -hmm.